Welcome to Tranquility Magazine Podcast with your host, Jasmine Maya Royce. Welcome to Tranquility Podcast Magazine with our guest for episode seven, Diana Pienta is a creative mentor, healer, forest therapy guide, and author, a former businesswoman who was sparked by a cancer diagnosis that transformed her own life and explored alternative healing, herbalism, yoga, and meditation, which led to a new career in a non-traditional ways of finding joy, inner peace, and creativity. She is the author of Be the Magic, bite-sized nuggets of wisdom to feed your soul, nourish your soul, and open your heart. Thank you very much, Diana, for being here today. Oh, thanks so much, Jasmine. I'm just delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. So I want to ask you, what is your mantra for today? Oh, for the day. You know, that's interesting that you ask that. I don't have something prepared, but one of the things I do every day is I ask for a word. Like, what is the word that wants to come in today and play with me? And so... I just, as you were doing this, I was just like, oh, what's the word? And so I just got wisdom and wisdom, you know, it's not, it's that deep knowing inside of us that everybody has, like we have that access to wisdom, but so often it's blocked. And so how can we open up to that wisdom, especially when we're in a very maybe difficult situation or we're not feeling very wise, we're feeling scattered. So wisdom. And, you know, my ongoing mantra is um, connection, creativity, and community, nature, movement, sound. I mean, all of those woven together, which actually feed into wisdom. That actually gives Mm -hmm. us the access to wisdom. So, Yeah, I mean, it's an important topic, especially during this time in August itself, because we're talking about Lionsgate and the transformation of change and letting go of the past, healing yourself and trying to figure out the next kind of evolution in your own journey. So I appreciate that one very much. I wanted to ask you to explain to the listeners, what is forest therapy? (laughs) Forest therapy. Well, forest therapy was originally started in Japan and it was started in the 80s as an antidote to um, of the tech boom that was going on. And there was a huge uptick in uh, chronic diseases, so Western diseases that were happening. And the Japanese government wanted to find out, well, why, like, why is this? And one of the studies started looking at what actually happens when people go into the forest. And they started doing, it's very scientifically, it was a very scientific study. And so they were looking at what's the, what's your heart rate variability, what's your cholesterol levels, what's your heart rate. So look, what's your blood pressure? And they found the studies are amazing and the results are amazing, but you know, they found that there was these natural cancer killing cells that that were Mm -hmm. produced in the forest. So So from an American standpoint, the people that I've trained with went and looked and said, that is wonderful. And there's another piece, which is how do we actually get into a deep relationship with nature? Because we are nature. It's not like nature is out there. We're, we actually are nature. So how do we actually get back to ourselves? So forest therapy is, is a way that we, it's a, it's a guided activity where Mm -hmm. we're going in with a group. And it's experiencing nature in a really embodied way. So you're really very attuned to your senses. Like, I don't know if you've been in nature sometimes or even on a hike and you could be in your head Mm -hmm. the whole time. So you could be like, I haven't even remembered one tree or one stone, but this is the (laughs) opposite of that. It's very Mm -hmm. slow. It's not a hike. It's a very slow, deliberate way 
of guiding people to get into their senses and in this uh, relationship with nature. And people say that it really gives, and I've experienced this too, it just gives you this real sense of, of being connected to yourself too. And, you know, especially now people, there's so many people saying that they feel disconnected or the sense of not belonging. And mm -hmm. it's a wonderful way to get back into that connection with ourselves and also with each other and then with, with the forest too. I absolutely agree. I think that's a really positive outlook to after you've already unpacked the idea that it came from a Japanese understanding and then trying to do it here in the United States. And a lot of us, you know, especially us that live in a city or anything like that, I understand my, my father's a horticulturist, hence my name which I was named after flowers and I was oh. raised around gardens and I get distracted when I'm in expansive, bigger city that you need to find the places to look for that are more grounding and you can be in an environment with trees and, you know, the joking tree hugging hippie concept comes up a lot in our background yeah. and experience it's like listen trees have been here longer than most of us and they're probably wiser than all of us so it's like when people joke about a house has walls and has stories and everybody wants to know who has lived in the house before if it's a historic building or anything like that I was like imagine the trees that have been there longer than the building has been yeah so, yeah um, and just with our theme of wisdom the trees have so much wisdom when you just slow down and stand next to one you could ask a question and mm -hmm. it's amazing what kind of wisdom actually comes through. And I love what you said about the city, because, you know, a lot of times we think that nature, like we love nature when it's this pristine, beautiful, like I'm looking at the photo behind you. I'm like, oh, it's so beautiful, <laughs> you know, but can we find it? I'm here in the middle of Boston and Boston is a green city, but still, you know, can we find mm -hmm. it amidst the sirens and the traffic and the noise and the pollution? And so, and it's here, it's here, you know, the birds are here, mm -hmm. the trees are here. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it a little bit in your book, but I wanted you to define the idea because words are powerful. Every word has different meanings for different people. Every background in history with the words themselves is more about how you see the word being because you picked one earlier about wisdom, but you now created this book about magic but that's in the title, but it has a deeper meaning. So if you can define for me what your idea of magic is, that yeah. can help me and the listener understand kind of the background you're coming from it and how you're viewing it. Yeah, thanks. That is such a great question. So when I say be the magic or use the word magic, I look at this, this world is magical. It's beautiful. It's awe-inspiring. It's wonder-inspiring. And we tend to forget that. And we also have magic inside of us. We have incredible gifts to serve forward. We have incredible, what I would say, magic, this ability to create something that's uniquely ours. We often, you know, damp it down with limiting beliefs and limited thinking, or I can't do that. But when we can tune in to the magic of the world. In, and I talk a little bit about this, just even with you know synchronicities or serendipity, mm -hmm. a lot of times we just 
we just ignore that as something that, oh, isn't that interesting? Oh, oh, isn't, you know, that's kind of cute. <laughs> but can it be something more that the world is actually co-creating with us and supporting us and saying, you know, one of the quotes I use is a Mary Oliver quote, which is that if you're not, the world must be so disappointed if we're not dazzled at least 10 times a day. So when we can open to the, not only the beauty of the of the trees and, and the sunsets, but also with our relationships with people, with the little nuances that happen every day, then we can open to our own magic too. And I think that's what we're here to do is to really tap into our own magic and then serve it forward in the world. And I think that gives, you know, having a purposeful, meaningful life is one of the greatest accesses to happiness and a peaceful existence. Amazing. So yeah, I don't hope that gives you a little sense of yep. it. It's a it's a esoteric word, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. In a way, well, yeah. it's like everybody has a different viewpoint on it and a different background and a different experience with the word magic. So, what it means to you is more important for the book that you've created by it. And also, I think it it makes the listeners kind of understand what the viewpoint we're looking at too, because there's a myriad of books on magic, but your magic is more interpretive, I think, and and you're ex experiential, which I never can say right. <laughs> And um, yeah, so that makes a lot of sense in the book itself and what you were trying to relate to your own personal journey, which I, I think it's very valuable. So you touched on a couple of things in your book that I want you to uh, expand upon, because as a person that does explore a lot of different healing tactics, you are a cornucopia of things that I have no idea what they are. So I had to do some research for that. And I'm not going to say this right. I was like, what is, I think it's Ashika reading. What is that? Oh, Akashic readings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not an one. Akashic reader, right? But I go to somebody <laughs> who reads the Akashic records. And as I understand it, I'll give you what mm -hmm. I understand of it, is that it's the blueprint that our soul's blueprint, you know, the divine blueprint before all of the stuff came on to it and all of the traumas and maybe if you believe in past life traumas or mm -hmm. ancestral traumas or all of that came on, but it's that pure version. And so like, who are you? And so there are people out there who read the Akashic records. And so sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm interested in all, in all of this, right? Like, oh, what's that mm -hmm. piece of information? And I think with everything, you know, it's good to just remember, well, a couple of things. One is, I am such a champion for the diversity of experience, right? Like there's so many interesting things in this world. So just exploring whatever calls to you, like, why not? You're here for just a brief moment on time. So why not check it out and see mm -hmm. what you, and also as you're on your journey, like it's great, you know, it's great. Somebody gives you an hour long reading and is telling you things about your life that they have no way of knowing of, you know, if you haven't spoken <laughs> to them before and it's, and it can seem very powerful in that way. And I always think, use it as one piece of information. It's not, nobody ever gets the whole picture. This is a whole mystery of life. So <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was an interesting one that you touched upon. And I was like, okay, well, what is this? So, and then the other one that I was, I'm not also going to say this, right. I'm always bad at like pronouncing, um, a Fedekrist method. Oh, Feldenkrais. Feldenkrais. Okay. Feldenkrais. That's very Swedish sounding. Yeah. Feldenkrais method, body and mind. It was talking about. Yeah. 
So Feldenkrais was developed, oh, decades ago by uh, somebody who was helping dancers really get into their body. And it was this idea that very small micro movements affect mm -hmm. everything else in your body. So I think I tell the story in the book about, mm -hmm. I went to a Feldenkrais practitioner and I was expecting, I don't know what I was expecting, but I thought she was going to like really work my body over in some way. And Reiki she, kind of concept. Yeah, or just but like massage it or, or tell me like what I needed to do to get an alignment or just something really, you know, it's big. Mm. And she was very calm. She was so calm. And she just, she barely touched me. And then she said at the end of it, you clench your hands a lot, pay attention to that. And at the time I thought, what a waste of money. I just paid all this <laughs> money and drove across town to be told I clench my fists, but, mm. but it lodged itself in my consciousness. And so when I got home, I realized, oh my gosh, my hands, my, my fists are always clenched. Like there's a tension there and I could feel it in my shoulders. And it, the idea is that it, it affects all parts of your body, right? So if your fists are clenched, I was waking up with clenched fists and I, it just made me think, what is this about? Is there anger? Is it ready to fight? Mm. Is it, what is it? So it's all another piece yeah. of information, right? A piece of the puzzle. What's really going mm. on that our subconscious isn't aware, even, I wasn't even aware of it. You know. Yeah, I mean, that's an intuitive point where you're reaching the cross between, between your mind and your body and how they flow and synchronize together and what it actually means, because normally we get some, you know, difficulty like an inflammation or a thrown hip or a broken bone or something that actually happens by accident but also it can happen by stagnation or not treating our body the way we should be treating it because this is what we're taking with us permanently you know on our journey yeah. so it's like you only get one of these there's only one you can't you can't upgrade it you can't like trade it over it is what it is so you know understanding where your mind is in affecting your body is a very important element of just learning about you. Oh, yeah. So powerful. Well, how, what you think is so powerful for your body, isn't it? I mean, it sounds yeah. like you explore this too. And it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love doing that as a, a Gemini to a Virgo. We have very similar interests. So in that your divine wisdom from every little nugget of the book is very enlightening. I like the fact that it's a very you know, you can pick it up where you start, you can finish one, you go to another one. It's just segmented in a way that I travel with little doubt to I Ching with me. And sometimes I flip it open and that's the page for the day. And so your book could be parallel to that, that you don't have to sit down and read the entirety of it. You can set it aside and pick it up later if you just wanted some positive wisdom for that day. And I wanted to touch you on one that I wanted to ask, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Oh, that's such a great question. I'm both. So okay. I love to be around community. You know, even though for years I thought I wanted to move to the country. I mean, I'm such a nature person, a nature girl. Mm -hmm. But here I am somehow in the middle of this super busy city and there's a thriving that happens. So community is so important to me. And at the same time, I have to have my quiet time. So that I get to a point where I think I'm not talking to anybody for, you know, <laughs> for three days. And, mm -hmm. and it's just important for me to have that time so that I can then recharge and go out into community again. So, so both, both. Uh, that we have in common. So for me, it's, I'm the same 
game that it's like I'm out I'm socializing all the time and then I'm like okay I, I need my own time and then I I put my phone away and I was like it's silence and and the quiet moments that I don't want to talk to people because I either feel obligated to because it's something about business or it's just a community that I, I am part of or friends that we would talk for hours and it's great enlightening and you're like oh Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you have a, a chapter about this that I wanted to touch on because I, I thought it was relative and, and funny. Don't be afraid of the silence is the chapter that you speak upon this. I, I like the phrasing on the wall. Can you tell me what that one is? Sure. So I'll just give a little background for people who are listening. Mm -hmm. I was in a place called the Mountain Light Sanctuary, which is deep in the Great Smoky Mountains in North Carolina. And it is this magical, wonderful place. It's on the edge of thousands of acres of the national forest. It's so silent. It's so pristine and retreat. And it's it's a place where you go to recharge. And they had a sign on the, on the pantry wall that said, before you speak, consider, is it necessary? Is it kind? Is it an improvement upon the silence? And if you can't improve the silence, please don't break it. <laughs> I, I think it's like a wise word, but it's most Americans forget to read things. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, I, part of the story is, you know, the reason I mentioned this is that there was a woman there who, who was super nice. She was just great. But I was there to really kind of just hone in and be in my own energy in my own space. And she just wouldn't stop. She just wouldn't, couldn't stop talking. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be cooking spaghetti squash and I can't wait to pick some apples. And oh my gosh, it's so, so hard to get here. But oh, but I love coming here. Oh, I'm really tired. Oh, but I want to do it. Like it was just on and on. And, you know, I also say, <laughs> and I was like, she's that clearly has not read the sign in the pantry. <laughs> but one of the th other things about this is to ask, you know, it would have been so easy to just be like, let me get out of here. But instead, mm -hmm. I was like, what is this trying to teach me? And I think that is also a common theme of the book of, you know, when we're up against these experiences, like, really, what is this trying to teach me? And what it taught me when I actually sat with it, I thought, oh, this is what it might sound like in the forest when I'm my mind is going a million miles an hour. Mm -hmm. And or that, you know, we all feel feel silences, you know, as a culture, we're not comfortable with silence. We're not comfortable with just letting, you know, the pause be, you know, there's always kind of a mm -hmm. jump to, to fill that. So oh. just something to, yeah, consider. I think it was a very important moment for myself as well, just because what I do is talk all the time. And if you have an experience that you've been in radio for so long that you're like, dead airspace. Oh, no, <laughs> it's quiet. Right. And then, but also I talk so fast for most people that it just breathes by. You're like, oh, just correct me if I need to slow down to explain something more thorough if you didn't hear it the first time. So I thought it was interesting because it was also a calling for me that you picked a book that I absolutely loved and I bought it as well, Braiding Sweetgrass. Oh. And I bought it on, it was the winter solstice. And I bought it in a hometown of mine, Grass Valley, very fortuitous. And I was like, oh, that makes me have to unpack that myself because I spend a lot of time alone by myself in my silence. And it's, I feel inhibited 
to share with people because I deal with a lot of introverted that don't feel comfortable until you share. And then it breaks the ice for them to find their rhythm into a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I have grown to a point that I don't love conversations that are basic understandings that it just feels like you have to do them. I love deeper, more important ones. But that was an interesting concept because you wrote this book during the pandemic where a lot of people were dealing with isolation. We would call it, uh, jokingly, I've already gone through cabin fever, but it's like this where you are stuck in your own box by yourself and the only chatter you hear is you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or the TV. <laughs> so, you know, understanding silence is part of meditation and part of being really okay with being with you. And I think it was very important for a lot of people to kind of figure that out and embrace the quiet because you get different points of information from a quiet space. The ego will take up most of that. And then you have a moment where your higher love vibrations will come through and have one segment of information that you have to take somewhere. You're like, you got one, that's it. Like for now, until you get better at being open and quieting one. (laughs) Yeah. And I love what you're saying because it's also within a conversation. Sometimes Mm -hmm. Just allowing the pause to be with a conversation can allow something else to come. Like it's mm-hmm. a really, I, I lead free write groups, writing groups where it's a write, writing circles where people are given a prompt and a certain amount of time. And it's usually a one word prompt. And then you just literally see what comes out of the pen. It's a really grounding. Mm-hmm. It's actually another great way to get into your body. And it's great to do it in community because then there's the opportunity to share. And, you know, as a a guide for that circle, it's part of it is really uh, guiding people, leading people to be comfortable with the silence. So a lot of times somebody will read something maybe raw or maybe just really touching Mm -hmm. and just to be able to sit with it and give that person the gift really of just listening, of not having to comment, Mm -hmm. not having to make a comment about it. And you know, I I see that's a lot of where the transformation happens. Like when we can really feel that we're listened to and that's Mm -hmm. a pause from both people. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. They've been calling it a term called holding the space. Mm. And I kind of agree because I've been working on that a lot myself because I feel inclined that I have to speak to fill in the gaps, but sometimes it's not always about that. So you take your time to kind of consider. And when I lived abroad for a long time in England, people will pause for a long time to make a response because they're putting it all precisely where they want it, exactly how they want it. So it's very informative, but vague sometimes. You're like, okay, that's abstract enough that I'm like, okay, there's something in there. We always joke, it's beating around the bush. I was like, you didn't really tell me exactly what you meant, but it's like the tonality that I have to take from that. We speak the same language, but we don't because English and American English are very different. And you're, you're holding that moment for listening, waiting, and then the response. And you're like, how do I interpret that? Do I have to ask another question or just kind of lean back and be like, okay, that is what it is. <laughs> and absorb it. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, 
So on your journey, you've done a lot of uh, a transition uh, period, which a lot of people don't really want to ever discuss the idea of the ending of the cycle or the ending of a journey of life and the coming close to a near-death experience and how that translated to another journey. And you've had that experience when you were got diagnosed with cancer and it puts you on a quest in a different method of your understanding of your life and how that impacts you. And then what you were trying to fill the gap to understand the healing concept. And how did that, this book is part of that, but the other things that you went on the journey to learn and explore, what are some of the things that you kind of took away from that pursuit other than the book itself which is really worth it and amazing is there any little other nuggets that you have interpreted by that journey oh it's such a wow you know and everybody has an incredible journey right it's it's Mm -hmm. uh, i'll share a little bit about mine so to um and just to be clear, I didn't have a near-death experience. So, because I, I think some people think of that in a very specific way where you're like literally in between True. both worlds. So, uh-huh. um, but I was young and I was diagnosed with cancer and I was, it came out of left field, like no expectation whatsoever. And I was in a, I had a business, I had my own business that that did well. It was earning a lot of money, but it was not my sole work. It did not make me happy to, to go to work every day. All the people around me were telling me, this is amazing. You have this super successful business and kind of like, what's wrong with you? And I think, <laughs> you know, so part of that was just this awakening. And, you know, I think when you're faced with a diagnosis like that, or different people have different ways that they experience that awakening. You just become very aware that, you know, you were here for this very short period of life. You know, we we take for granted that tomorrow will be here. And that's so cliche, but if you actually just get quiet and think, it may not be here. It's like a gift today. So, you know, using the wisdom to spend it well, what do I actually want to do? And that that was really pretty much the gist of the journey for me. What is it that I'm interested in? What do I, where do I want to spend my time? Who do I want to spend my time with? Mm -hmm. And, and also that there's so much, I mean, I love to learn. That's one of my, you know, it's such a key thing for me, but also it helped me to get back to what I love to do as a kid. And for a lot of people, they're not clear about what, like, what do we actually want? You know, we're not conditioned, mm-hmm. most of us to be like, well, what do I actually want? You know, sometimes that's really <laughs> that's hard true. to access. You ask somebody that question. And there, and I write about this in the book too. There was this um, late master healer who said that over 95% of the people he treated, he treated thousands, mm-hmm. thousands of people did not know what they wanted. And he attributed that to their disease, their distress, their unhappiness. So really mm-hmm. getting clear on on what it is that we want. And if you if you look back to what you did when you were four or five or six years old, a lot of times those are clues. We did it naturally. Like for me, mm-hmm. I would write letters to everybody and they would be these kind of, how are you feeling? Like I wanted to, it's, it's something I wanted to know, I, like embodiment. Yeah. How are you feeling? You know, I, I mm-hmm. wanted to know that from people. I wanted to write. I wanted to make that connection. Writing was how I made sense of things. I have these letters from when I was four, from when, you know, an aunt died and I was mm-hmm. writing about what happened, but it's a way that we all, we, that we can make sense if writing is your thing. Mm-hmm. And I danced. And so now 
And that was a way for me to get into my body. And I loved to dance. And, you know, as I got into my 30s and 40s, I didn't dance very much at all. But when I realized, well, God, that's something that's such a missing. So now I'm, I'm actually on a journey of, of even leading people in journey dance. So again, a way of being embodied and a way of like really accessing your emotion and having fun and just like being free and, <laughs> and free and in community. And playing music and mm -hmm. is something else that I, as, as I did as a kid, I climbed trees. So, you know, I wasn't climbing a lot of trees when I had my cancer diagnosis. And today mm -hmm. I climb trees, you know, it makes, it makes me happy. So I think one of the things is to really look and see what is, you know, we each have kind of a unique combination of mm -hmm. what we love and what we're here to serve in some way. And my sense of it is that there's this intersection between the two. We have, you know, when we do what we love, we're filled with love. And then that mm -hmm. just, that automatically, you know, goes forward. Yeah, that's an amazing experience. And your journey is beautiful in that understanding because most people haven't been really confronted with the idea of that phrase you were using before, what do you want? And I spend a lot of time kind of mentoring other people, kids that are just new to the scene, kids in my mind, they're still in college and figuring out what they actually want to focus on and what they're, you know, choices are going to be. And even young, they still want to appease. They want to be seen. They want to be applauded. They want everybody else to be taken care of or something that's missing the key thing here. Because you're just trying to take care of everybody else. Women do it. Men sometimes do it. And you're like, both of us do it different ways. You know, the provider takes care of the home. I take care of everybody. So they're happy, but I forgot what I want. And then women do it as well. I'm taking care of kids or I'm taking care of myself, but I'm, you know, want my parents approval, both sides. And you have to kind of dig deep to find that ultimate, you know, answer to what do you actually want? And when you touched on the idea of love, that's an interesting concept that most people haven't been to or haven't experienced the ultimate power of love in the universe, which is an Einstein letter that he wrote to his daughter about the idea of love and how powerful it is. But sometimes you have to start with your own self-love before you get it from anywhere else. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you have yeah. to be filled, right? You have to be filled. And then there's, there's so much that's, that pours over. Yeah. Yes. So in my understanding, magic comes from a little bit of a Wiccan understanding. Wicca means the wise woman and you are exactly that. So kudos to your amazing book. Very simple nuggets of information that you can pick up. It's called Be the Magic, bite-sized nuggets of wisdom to feed your joy, nourish your soul and open your heart. You can find it at Diana penta.com and you can find all the notes in the bio at the bottom of our podcast but thank you very much diana for your time today and sharing your journey with us on the tranquility magazine podcast thank you so much jasmine for having me thank you very much for tuning in to our episode seven featuring diana penta i am your host jasmine meyer royce and you can find us on tranquillitymagazine.com where you can reach out and subscribe to our monthly email featuring all our articles as well as our podcast updates for our monthly podcast we look forward to you being our listeners for next month